and welcome to Noisy Fulfillment, a Desperate Housewives rewatch podcast where we take you back in time episode by episode of ABC's Desperate Housewives. This week we are breaking down season one, episode four, Who's That Woman? Written by Tom Spezio. Oh, I can't. Amanda, help me out. What do you want to say? What do you want to call that? Speziali. Okay, I will go with that. Um, <laughs> written by Tom Speziali of The Leftovers, Dead Like Me, and Mark Terry. Um, and directed by Jeff Malman, who did Night Court, Malcolm in the Middle, Grey's Anatomy, Two and a Half Men, Frasier, Melissa and Joey. A lot of my personal favorites are in there. And at first, yeah, like some, you know, high and low, like soapy, um, as well as, you know, kind of adolescent there for me. Um, And it first aired October 24, 2004. And I'm Rachel Warren. And if someone were to say, who's that woman about you, what would come next? What would be the answer to that to my co-host, Amanda Baum? Ooh, I feel like, like, what's my label? Yeah, if you're good, the, the identifier. Like, if, if you and I were sitting at lunch one day and Brie was sitting with us and you get up to leave and you know this happens with, not, I do want to say, I don't think this is a gender communication. I think this happens for all, for all genders. Uh, but you get up and leave, Amanda, and somebody in Brie says to me, you know, who was that woman that she didn't know you? What oh, would I have responded with? Oh, she's a middle school teacher, probably. How do you I feel, feel like about that? that? Well... Um, I mean, I don't like to let that define me, but I feel like a lot mm-hmm. about my personality is connected to that. Like it kind of mm-hmm. goes hand in hand. So I don't know. Probably, probably that's what somebody would say. How about you? And I wonder how much of that is ingrained in us as teachers, as educators, right? Um, is that I've defined myself by that role for, for a very long time. And when I moved into higher ed, now I, I know what my job is. I know what has to get done. But I, I think the title really is a turnoff to me. I don't love I don't love that title. I liked it way better when somebody would say I'm an English teacher. But I don't know, you know, I don't know what that, that says about me. But just so you know, if somebody... Um, if, if, if that had happened, I would say, that's my friend Amanda. We co-host a podcast together, and uh, she has really cool she has really cool t-shirts that I want to buy. And, <laughs> um, and if they then asked me what your career was or what, what you did, then I would tell them that. But I, I think I would have led um, with what our relationship is, like how I know you and how our relationship is. So, Yeah. Okay. I like that better. I feel like that's more about who you are as a person and what people experience about you rather than like what you do, you know, for your eight to five. How about you? What would you say about yourself? So I, I I agreed. If I, if I were the one that got away from that table, I'd be interested to know how you, how you would have uh, explained me to Brie. But I, I would have hoped it would be, that's my friend, that's my friend Rachel. And this is our relationship or, you know, um, I would hope that it came from a relationship level, uh, like like you were saying, not necessarily what my my nine to five was. So I think the reason that I that I was thinking that way is because um, at the start of the episode mm-hmm. they're talking about labels, and so uh-huh. I think I was looking at it through that lens. But you're right if if someone asked who they who a person was, that, like if I if we were at lunch or whatever, like you said. And it wasn't somebody who was in our education sphere asked who you were. I probably wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, she works in higher ed. Like I would have led with, oh, yeah, this is my friend Rachel and she's super cool. This is how I know her because that's typically how we introduce 
people to each other. Right. But I think you said the the lens is exactly why we selected that question, I think, because that's how Mary Alice kind of um, frames the episode for us. So um, in, in Mary Alice's first lines, when she says, panning over, we're panning over magazines, and she's discussing the different identities that she had in her own life, and then it's kind of uh, juxtaposed with the way Lynette used to see herself in a career role and now sees herself in a mothering role, and that sometimes the tasks are somewhat aligned, but they look different. So I really like that. It, it sounded like a very career um, description for what she's doing, paired with a very um, domestic uh, visual of what she was doing when it came to her power lunches and it's feeding one kid with one hand and putting a bottle in the baby's, <laughs> of the baby's mouth with the other and ruthlessness at wiping out the competition when she sprays the Windex or whatever on the window <laughs> and that maybe she would have had a different way of um, expelling competition uh, in in a in her her former former life, but yeah, I think that was perfect. So with that, uh, do you want to bring us into the summary, Amanda? Whew, this is a tough one for me as a teacher. Um, so this episode, we we go into um, Lynette and the boys having some trouble at school and and how that kind of plays out. So that's part of that's part of the fun. And um, we also have a little bit of a Gabby twist, um, taking a bath in the middle of the day with her boy toy. And, and that all ends. this water, all these baths, you just have nothing to do but bathe all day long. So many baths. What and, is your life? Um, right. She's very clean, obviously. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. So, you know, we end up with some, of course, some calamity and some violence to someone else who really was undeserving of all of it. Correct. Um, we have a little bit of Susan trying to get with Mike and, and Edie being kind of wild and trying to defend what she thinks is her territory. Of course, it wouldn't be Desperate Housewives without a little bit of blackmail um, in there. It feels like we're revisiting that blackmail theme every episode because um, Mrs. Huber finally lets Susan know that she has the measuring cup. So that, that takes an interesting turn that I'm excited to talk about. And um, the uh, the Brie marriage, the, the kids now realize what's really going on. And, and uh, Brie tries to still enforce her um, authority at her house in a, in a very interesting way. And um, the girls let... Paul know about the letter that they found and there's just there's a lot a lot going on lots of juice in this one absolutely and when you think about it's a 24 episode season way longer seasons in 2004 than we are accommodating here in 2021 right yes exactly I think about the fact that maybe I wouldn't have watched anything if it came out today because I mean for me a 10 episode season is quite a commitment and I have yeah. to really I have to really gear myself up for it I have to be somewhat uh, regimented in when we watch it because otherwise usually I'm watching it with my husband and it's a commitment that I've made to, to that person that I won't binge it without them or something like that yeah. so for 24 that would be impossible I, I, I just I would I would do a bad job at holding myself accountable to doing that and it just I think it speaks to the difference in the way we watch television um, yeah. and consume this media in 2021 that it just didn't work in 2004 you were waiting for that Sunday night to show up speaking of that I got busted no. because, because my husband was like 
hey, don't we have another episode to watch? Like, don't don't you have a podcast okay. recording coming up? And I was like, oh, buddy, you you missed the no! last one. I think he thought that I was waiting for him. And so, and how do you re-explain? I mean, he would need to listen to our podcast to know what went on to be able to be caught up. But the other thing I was going to say is I don't think when I was watching this back in the day, I don't think I was aware of how many episodes were in a season. Like, I think you always knew Very true. it would be the majority of the year. And then you would find out, like, like two weeks from now is the last episode of the season. And then you'd be like, oh, what am I going to do all summer? But, like, it never <laughs> would occur to me that, okay, I got 24. And, like, now... I mean, obviously, I'm binge watching, so it's very different. But like, I'm very, very aware of how many episodes are um, in whatever show I'm watching. So I kind of can like ration it out, so I don't blow through it all, and are left with not and left mm-hmm. with nothing left to watch. But also, so that I can kind of like budget my time. Like, okay, I can get a whole season in today. I, I got a lot of work to do, but I can, you know, it's eight hours. I can do it. I think back then it was just like nebulous like I had no idea how much there was of a show which really says something for this episode that we move so many pieces so so far forward that we have so much happening in this episode particularly because you have 24 episodes and you really have to slow down the pace to get there so I think from a storytelling perspective that was interesting to me because you're totally right that summary couldn't really have gotten any more succinct because there's just so many pieces moving forward yeah, it's a whirlwind. Every episode is like a whole season. Who? Well, with that being said, let's get into oh. it, right? Yeah. All right. Um, so we open with Lynette having a talk with her with the twins' teacher, um, Preston and Porter's teacher, and the teacher thinks that the kids might have ADD. Lynette seems to say they don't have it, and I am not drugging my children just to make your life easier. And the teacher. I, the way that the teacher spoke to Lynette, mm-hmm. I really had a lot of, I, I, I had a lot of uncomfortable with, with com- uncomfortableness with it because she said something to the effect of, yeah, well, considering how ugly you got about it last time. And I just can't imagine saying that nope. to a parent. But then I also, I'd love to know that, you know, like I'm going into teacher mode here. Like I'd love to know the backstory on did they test the kids and the kids tested right that they have ADD or are they just assuming and Lynette's like oh no they don't have it and also Lynette like have you have you watched your kids for one day like there there's a lot going on and maybe it's not maybe it's not ADD but it's something that like let's get some routines in place like your your kids teacher is saying like we have an issue here like let's come together and find a way to to help support these kids so they can learn and everybody else around them can learn. And just was, oof. It's jam-packed. I completely agree. And maybe that, mm-hmm. it, and, and a 2004 and a 2021 reading of this text obviously could be very different, especially the way in which, you know, as a teacher, you're always working to, um, make the parent feel that we're part of the same team. I'm not an expert in pharmacology. I was an expert in English. Uh, Perhaps I'm not the best person to know whether or not your kid has ADHD, ADD, but maybe I can make a referral to the diagnostician. We could get them into team, you know, use all my teacher words now. And there are other people that are experts in this and that if the student needs support, we can find that for them. And it's not an indictment on you as a parent. It's not an indictment on the student and their biology has, you know, nothing to 
to do with that. It's all about we're all on the same team, which is to make you successful. But at the same time, I agree that the the approach, this particular teacher, that that was a rough approach for me. I wouldn't have been um, I, I on the receiving end of that. I would have I would have thought the same thing. And then I really liked what you said about. What about doctors? What about other people? Is there anybody else that uh, observed this and has some, you know, has some things to ask Lynette? Um, and it sounds like later on we'll get we'll get there about that there has been a doctor consulted. But yeah, there there was a lot there for me. Um, so much so that I did do a little bit of a deep dive on ADD, ADHD um, from the Centers for Disease Control (CDC) and talked about that. In no, you know, it's hard to say this for that, right? It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily causal. It could be correlative, but it is interesting. The spike in ADHD diagnosis um, around 1997 that we started to see people being asked this question. It said the, the first national survey that asked parents about ADHD was completed in 1997. Since that time, there's been an upward trend in national estimates of parent reported ADHD diagnosis across different surveys using different age ranges. But it seems to say that the dots are all over the place and you know these could be correlative. They don't necessarily have to be causal, uh, but that what we've seen from 1997 to 2017, which is the, the time period that this study uh, talks about, it's interesting that the number of um, pharmaceuticals and, and drugs for ADHD spiked during that time too, whether that's in response to, well, there's a need, so let's create more, or there's drugs, let's just prescribe them to somebody. Obviously, yeah. like a, a kind of a chicken and an egg debate, but I, 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 I will put that in our show notes just because I found it interesting. And having um, grown up with somebody who really you know, their life was completely changed by their ADHD diagnosis in a very positive way that allowed them to, you know, have a little bit more agency over their own life and feel more in control of what was happening to them. That um, I, I found I found that interesting, and that it doesn't have to be about shame blame. It can be about taking care of ourselves and participating in our own self care. Right. And one last thing I'd like to say about that segment is it's very clear that there was not a teacher in the writing room for oh yeah whole, where's your technical teacher. advisor come on get somebody in there that is like no a teacher would never sit outside of the classroom eating sunflower seeds and watching and spitting them it felt like she was spitting oh. them no Ugh. anyway i just was i was appalled at how that all went down there was so much there there was there you're right thank you representation in the writer's room horrified all of the things i perfect oh. and also putting it out there like it's right like it's a shameful thing the way that the way that that was put out there okay. well meanwhile of all the of all the uh titles that we that uh lynette will take on uh she will now be known as the mother of the boys who uh turned a little girl mm -hmm. blue <laughs> and they did a really thorough job they were nothing if not <laughs> it's under her no, shirt i don't understand her hair and and like for real though, what mom who's just had her child painted so she looks like she's early iteration of the Blue Man Group? How did how did that mom walk by Lynette and those boys, and all she did was give her a questioning eye? Like, right? Can you imagine if that happened to your kid and you walked past the kids who and the mom who did it? Like, wouldn't you at least have words? I mean. Okay, now I am guilty of this because I just want to make everybody. My mother-in-law once told me nobody understands the child uh, that a child 
of a biter except the mother of another biter. Um, that if your child gets bit by another child, you, you're, you, you know, you're likely to have emotions about it, certainly, but think about that other mother. She doesn't know what, what is she, you know, I'm sorry my child bit your child. Like, I totally get that. I totally get both. So from my perspective, it probably, if, I, if, I'm, the, if I'm the mother of the new blue child, um, yeah. I guess I might have also, I, I might have, you know, just said, you know, we can talk about this another time. But yeah, I, I don't know if it would have been a passing glance necessarily as opposed to, you know what, let's figure this out some other time. Right, right. Let's circle back. Let's follow up on, on how my child became blue and how your children decided to turn her blue. No, and that I just that that hue of blue doesn't look like it's going to be an easy wash. Also, it feels like again they needed representation in the writers' room about um, that's a lot of blue paint. You, you this is this is some kind of fancy school where you just have a plethora of blue paint because in my in my experience working in public school, yeah. that much blue paint that means nobody else got to paint that day. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Fascinating. Uh, we, we move from that to something a little bit darker. The women get together to listen to the tape of Mary Alice's therapy session that Brie has stolen from Dr. Goldfein's office. I did actually write down in my notes to ask my therapist about this, and she was very kind about telling me that everything I have is safe. She cannot uh, tell me what it would have been like in 2004, but she feels that it would, would have been harder to to take this tape out of there than, than Brie makes it look. So that's fine. I'll, I'll feel, I feel fine about that. Um, but they're listening to this on the porch. Yeah, that's pretty wide open. And also, none of them seem horrified with the fact that Brie stole a tape from a therapist. Right. What if they had tapes there? Yeah. Don't you want to sue yeah, that practice? Also, circling back, it's a good thing that it was let out of the bag during the dinner party that they're going to couples therapy because remember how Brie was trying so hard to hide it. Oh, how yeah. would she, if they, if she hadn't been outed, how, how would she have gotten this tape? She would have had to listen to it on her own. So good thing. Good thing. That's that part of the story was outed so that now she can share her um, contraband with her friends. That's so brilliant. That's brilliant. And I, again, I was so stuck on the fact that, Y'all are gonna walk. You're you're gonna listen to this private, very very private um, piece of your 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 friend's soul here. You're gonna listen to that in broad daylight on the porch. I, I assume that sound doesn't travel that far, but I mean they can see Paul as they're doing it. Yes, he's like across the street watering his lawn. He's not that far away. And then we get into the the things that are on the tape that are juicy. Mary Alice says that she said that she had this, she's having this recurring dream. She saw the girl under the water and she kept saying, Angela, Angela. Yes, and that's her name. We learned that, yeah, we learned that used to be her name. Yes, and one of them, I think it was Gabby. Mm -hmm. Was it Gabby says something about like, well, I've seen her driver's license. It said Mary Alice on it. Right, so this is a, a, apparently a legal name change. Yeah, yeah. It ha that um, can happen. That's allowed in the world, right? Definitely. We've I, I've I've been through that process twice. Um, in terms of changing in terms of changing your name, not my first name, but um, and it does take it does take work and legal documentation, and uh, you know, it's, I, I understand people that don't change it just because it's annoying. It's a lot of paperwork, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and money. I don't care for that. Um, 
whatever whatever this mystery is that's surrounding Angela, uh, Mary Alice's alter ego Angela or Angela's alter ego Mary Alice, it's going to have to be solved pretty quickly, though, because Bree says that house is going to sell quickly. Yes, yes. And they're all happy that, that Paul's moving because they feel that he's malignant. They think he's creepy. So yeah, the, nobody nobody's sad that his late night strange things happening in the neighborhood are about to come to a close. And that term malignant, right? Like, I mean, that's a, yeah. that was a Lynette term that, that people were saying, yeah. you know, he's always creeped me out. And Lynette, I think, offers the word malignant. And it's, yes, yes, that is the word for it, she says. Um, and that kind of leads me to wonder how much of that is true from before Mally, Mary Alice died. Like, Paul always creeped them out even before Mary Alice died. And that would be interesting to know. It, say, it seems that that's yeah. what they're saying. Yeah, they weren't they they weren't slow to decide he was creepy, even though he's still like, if it was in the real world, that person's still in the throes of, you know, their wife having just tragically died, and I, I wouldn't think that people around them that that didn't already have that that feeling a little bit would jump to that so quickly in in this person's moment of major grief, you know. Right. I hope I, I hope that it would be, you know, for this many years, she was this, you know, this this person. And now she's going through this really trying time uh, set on right. by by this. But it does seem that they're they're picking they're they're letting us in on something that they've felt for a long time. So it'll be interesting to see if that is if that is the case or if that seems kind of retconned. So as we as we move forward, I'll be looking for whether or not Paul was always a creep. Yes. Yes. And then. We have Susan washing a dish very thoroughly, and she spends washing... most of her life washing dishes at that window. She does, and but also she's watching Mike out the window, who he looks like an extra in the volleyball scene from Top Top Gun. Yes, the Mel Kilmer scene everywhere, abs and a shoulder tattoo. You know, so that I thought was a just an interesting little little visual. Not to be outdone, um, Edie comes out to wash her car, and I said in my notes, she looks like she's in a White Snake video, and I'm just You're watching both. I'm watching both of them, and I'm like, I'm just like, oh come on, this gag. I, I don't know, like it's objectifying in both ways, and I'm I don't know that I'm offended. I'm just oh come on, can we move the plot forward with your gratuitous car washing? Well, the fact that she's got like the bikini top and the the white button down that's already kind of see-through and then she takes that she does like this <laughs> gross me out she takes the sponge yeah, yes. in the bucket, and then like squeezes it down her chest like now you've got soap on you like and come the on dirt now dirt from your car yeah but also did you notice she had a big old cross necklace on no i did not i I just wonder if that was intentional because here they've got her acting like she's, you know, cat on a hot tin roof mm -hmm. with everything going on in this, this sponge. And she's like all over down the front of her. And then she's got this big religious symbol. I just, I just wonder if it was, if, if it was done ironically or I don't know. Just, no. It just seems kind of like it, it, it was in opposition of what she was 
great catch, Amanda. I totally didn't get that. But if you're dealing with the virgin whore dichotomy or the Madonna, yeah. you know, the that there's a lot there. Temptation, that she's the temptress, she's the seductress, yeah. the seductress and all the all the things that will play into uh, somewhat villainizing and, and sex shaming uh, Edie later, but it is gratuitous. And does she does she annoy me? Yes, but is that not culturally constructed? Perhaps. Um, however, Julie's gonna you know Julie's like you need to ask Mike out. You just you can go go ask him out. It seems like she's always trying to push forward this this relationship, and she's been holding onto a piece of. Uh, Mike's junk mail for just such an occasion so that she could give it to her mom so her mom could go over there and have a reason to to discuss with him um, a, a new date or something. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of, I, that was kind of strange to me. I don't know. You know, maybe she, I, I understand completely the, the idea of like, well, I got to get my mom married off uh, so that I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to be alone in taking I care of her later. All the time. Oh my gosh. And, you know, maybe if you have a, a, a vested interest in who she's going to be spending her time with, you'd rather her be spending time with somebody that you like than somebody you don't. And I maybe the same way that we choose our children's friends for them at, at some points in their life. Like, I'd rather hang out with this, this parent than this other person. So why don't you be friends with that person's kid? Hmm, interesting. Well, that might just so, be me. This makes Edie really mad. And right. she stomps inside and and says, I hate Susan Mayer. Oh, and you wrote yes. in the notes, Susan Mayer versus Susan Meyer. I mean, I think we're at least at three to three, where I've heard it both ways at least three times now. Um, so we have another another in that check-in. Um, and yeah, Edie's, Edie's ticked off. She says she's, you know, I just, it, she's like, I hate Susan Mayer, um, that, that she is just throwing herself at Mike Delfino and Mrs. Huber seems to be, Huber seems to, see now I'm doing Huber instead of Huber because the Susan Mayer versus Mayer, I know that that's what happened. Uh, but Mrs. I switch, I switch those up all the time because I know a couple of Hubers. So. Me too. Hope they listen Maybe. to our podcast. Maybe. Shout out, shout out uh, to that person. <laughs> um, so Mrs. Hoover says that she, or she's surprised that Susan likes Mike. And Edie says, where have you been? Like, well, what's wrong with you that you don't know this? I'm like, okay, but if, if Susan's out there throwing herself at him, what are you doing with your White Snake video? <laughs> right, right, right. And that, and I'd like to share that that's the only piece of neighborhood business that Mrs. Hoover seems to not be in on it, you know? Seems. Right. Is that calculated? And, and obviously so, because we'll, we'll see that further plot soon, too, right? Um, Lynette goes back to the school, right? Uh, and the teacher says that the boys refuse to be separated. What they, I, we might have failed to, to, we may have glossed over this, but the idea was, okay, I'm not medicating my kids, but what mm -hmm. if we separate them? One stays in your class, one goes to somebody else's class. They're, they're far less um, problematic or, you know, they, they'll cause you less problems if they're together. And I've had those students in my class, even if they weren't related, like these two BFFs and man, they need to be in different groups because otherwise I'm not going to get anything done. At the same time, I also had it where I set them together and I said, look, if you want to stay together, you best make sure that I can get my work done and you get your right. work done. And that it became this thing that, that as long as we get our work done, we can stay together. Um, and uh, that's not going to work over with, with Porter and Preston. Not with these friends. 
didn't Lynette also say like, well, let's just switch their class. And the teacher made the comment, like, I'm the only one who can handle them. Oh, yes. What if what if another teacher and I maybe I should have picked up on that because I've, I've been in that conversation, too, which is, mm-hmm. well, maybe another English teacher would be able to do better. And it's like, if that's how you feel, feel free, but know that you can come back. And it's not that I want you gone. Right. I think we can still make this work because we have no other choice. We have to learn to coexist with one another. We never, I, I never think about it as an opportunity to get rid of somebody, um, right. which, right. you know, whatever, maybe they want to get rid of me and that's fair. Um, but she does say, yes, I'm the only one who can handle them. That's also really interesting because mm-hmm. one, I don't think I'm the only one who can do anything in life. But the other, right. the other piece is like to say it with such conviction as like, that you make all the rules here. Do you have an administrator? Do you have a principal? Is there, there a leadership team? Right, right. Or are you running your room and the school? And again, I guess you're right. Need representation. Teachers need it in writer's room. Right, right. And pay them double. Um, <laughs> yes. And Lynette, <laughs> and Lynette goes in and uh, I, for a minute there, I was like, wait, is there an adult in the room? Because the teacher's literally outside eating a snack and like giggling to herself about Lynette about to go into this classroom. And then you hear this really loud chaos of Lynette trying to separate these kids from each other. Um, Just a lot of learning happening from everybody else around during that time. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure that's not distractive at all. And I can't, I couldn't tell you which one it was, but either Preston or Porter holding onto the table and being moved by your by your heels and I just uh, the other part is I have to say and I'm not shaming Lynette this sounds like this this looks like a a train wreck I get it but man it wouldn't have taken my my mom that just would not have been how that works at all I don't know maybe she was just like just my mom's just built I don't know uh but it wasn't going to take very much for her to you know like grab me by my heels and like drag me out like that I mean that might have been the softer way to go about it Maybe, maybe, yeah. So, um, Gabby, John, Tris, check-in time. Yep, we're in the bathtub, and that's a. It is a great bathtub in the middle of the For sure. Like it's very grand, very grand. I probably I, would take a lot of baths if I had that bathtub. Myself. Agreed. It was an investment, right? The, this was a choice. I'm sure her home is custom. I don't think that there was a lot in there that she didn't choose for choose to be in there. I don't think this. They probably didn't buy the. They didn't buy like the cheap model or anything. If anything, so no, it's not. It's not the contractor stock bathtub shower insert. It's in the middle of the room. It's not, I mean, I even, I can't wait to, like, I'm sure somebody's going to comment on this and tell me that it's not that complicated to get plumbing to the middle of the room, but, you know, I I guess I've just never, I've never been in that circle yet, so maybe this podcast will take off. It might not be as complicated, or I mean, I think it, I'm sure it's complicated because it's in the middle of the room, but it's fancy, and in order for you to have it in the middle of the room, whether it's complicated or not, that's a big ass bathroom. Agreed. You know what I think? Like giant. I just thought of somebody who would have been the perfect person to ask about this, but I only get those ideas, Amanda, when we're talking to one another. So I, I forgive. But uh, another another mutual friend of ours, I think uh, you probably know this person, uh, who had kind of a business doing this. And you know what? I'm gonna ask her about it. I'm writing it down in my notes. Um, but it's late at it's kind of late at night, and all of a sudden they hear the doorbell. And again, John always thinking that it's Carlos, but. 
I agree with the doorbell of his own house. Agreed. The only person who rings the doorbell of their own house around here is me when I forget my keys, um, or my daughter when she's yeah. trying to ding dong ditch me. So, well, that's fun. Always fun. But so the cable guy shows mm-hmm. up, and John mm-hmm. has a panic and runs out of the house and leaves his tube sock with the blue stripes, like your your garden variety gym sock. And I'm such a mom as this is happening. Like, yeah, you're having an affair. Not okay. Yeah, you're doing this. Not okay. But certainly don't run when your feet are all wet. You're going to slip. <laughs> right. Exactly. Not safe. Not safe. Foreshadowing happening. But yes, he left He left his tube sack. And can't wait to find out uh, where, where that will come up a little bit later. Um, yes. You talked a little bit about what's going on at Bree's house with Danielle and Andrew. Yes, so they, um, Brie is making a beautiful dinner, you know, with candles and whatever it seemed. And Danielle and Andrew discuss that she always overcompensates when something's wrong. They start talking about the fact that Rex didn't come home and Brie lies and says he had a last minute call to speak at a conference in Philadelphia. So Andrew realizes this is a load of BS and storms out of the house and danielle says this marriage is so over when she sees the the opulence of her mother's dining room table and andrew seems really really upset about it definitely really upset definitely so he's gonna go find answers uh, on his own while we go back over to gabby's house and the and you know what my mom instincts totally spot on here the the cable guy is at gabby's house and he slips and falls because of the mess made from their affair which is symptomatic of many things i think but before before we talk about him slipping and falling he's installing cable in the bathroom which in 2000 2004, right? Yeah, 2004. Yeah. I don't feel like this was common. Like, I remember not very long ago being in a hotel where there was a, ba- a TV in the bathroom, and I was like, Whoa, look at this. 2004, and they're, the cable guys, like, running cable in the bathroom? Were they going to have a wall-mounted TV? Was that was that even a thing? They will, because we will see that eventually. Um, but was I got to know, in the hotel that you were in, was the, the TV in the mirror? In the bathroom? Um, I have been in one in hotels where the TV's been in the mirror, but the one I'm thinking of, like the first time I ever saw it, it was literally like like a laptop-sized screen on the wall. Fascinating, because I, I there, there's a um, the Marriott Renaissance in Schaumburg. Uh, that was the first oh, place beautiful. I yeah, and it's the first place I ever I, I'd ever seen that. Uh, and I was like, well, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I thought at first I was like, that, that's stupid. Why would anybody do that? But then I thought it's not a, it, how is it any more stupid than the fact that I bring my phone or my iPad into the bathroom while I'm doing my makeup or my hair or something to watch, you know, Trevor Noah or The Daily Show or whatever I missed the, the night before. I guess it's no stupider than that. And it, it actually saves counter space so you can have more bottles and jars of all your, all of your things. So, so yes. and well, I thought it was Gabby's excessive. Now I see it. One more time. Gabby's also really rude and horrible to this poor cable guy. Definitely. Like, unkind to him about, you know, well, hurry up. I have things to do. Like, hmm. And he's complimenting things around her uh, that, yeah. yeah, do you, you know, can you mind hurrying up? Because I, I have stuff to do. Yes, I agree. She's, 
She abuses the help, which is exactly what we would see if this were a Shakespearean play, that she would get her comeuppance at the hands of the help because she abuses the help. Like a bad stepmother. Um, Carlos returns home and is suspicious that the cable guy is over at 8 p.m. I find that suspicious, too. <laughs> he also wonders about all the candles. He's looking around like, set all these candles for yourself, which, I mean, if that's your thing, good for you. Uh, it does seem like a lot of, again, excessive, opulent to go to just for yourself, um, unless the cable guy is more than the cable guy, thinks Carlos. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was kind of handsome. He was kind of handsome. So, yeah, he, but his injury is serious enough that they're, they've got him in a neck brace and there's EMTs there. And Gabby just says, he's like, why is he here so late? He was late. And just walks away from it. Easy as that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I would be a little. I I would respond a little more. I, I don't know. I I think it would go down differently if somebody was over installing something at my house and slipped and fell. I think I would have been less nonchalant about it. But I think her nonchalance was a cover up for, you know, her trying to spin a new web of lies in her head. Definitely. I would be more concerned that somebody slipped and fell in my house. One, on a human level. I don't want people to be hurt, especially when they're trying to help me. And second, I'm like, okay, this is a homeowner's insurance issue. Like, we're going to call a lawyer. This this is going to be a whole thing. Yes. Yes. Definitely. You're correct. But you know what? I don't know that she worries about those things. Those are Carlos's things to worry about. Right. Right. Now we're back to our, our friend, Mrs. Huber Huber. Bringing a high to season, and it's mincemeat. I've never had it. Have you had mincemeat? No, and actually, I was gonna lean on you because I know that you uh, you create more than I do when it comes to when it comes to kitchen when it comes to like charcuterie boards. So I wondered if you had any experience with uh, pies and mincemeat in particular. But I mean, she's just so creepy when she says, you know, it's mincemeat, and she said, you know, we still use that phrase that we say, I'll make mincemeat right. uh, mincemeat out of you. It means I'll chop you up into little bits. And Susan says, I don't think people actually say that. And she says, well, I do. <laughs> she's so weird. <laughs> she's just and super she creepy. That, I wish I'd been more supportive when when your husband left you, and it's just a, such a strange interaction. It, and, and gag, right? It's, I wish I would have been more supportive. No, you don't. You don't wish anything and, you know, really just get to your point because the, the rest of us, you know, have to move on with our lives. And she says, you know, no, I'm fine. It's going great. I've moved on. And she said, oh, yes, you've moved on to that nice Mike Delfino. And Susan, you know, she's very, you know, she's very standoffish about it. It's like, oh, no, he's just nice. He's just a neighbor. Um, and I, I noted the quote from Mrs. Huber here that being coy is a strategy best employed by virgins at their first dance. For women our age, it's just annoying. I'm going to take her to task on the age, first of all. Uh, that, that, that when Mrs. Huber says to Susan, for women our age, Terry Hatcher was 39. Who knows if they're playing the same age that their character is, but Terry Hatcher was 39 when this episode was shot, and Christine Easterbrook uh, was 52. She could have been her babysitter, maybe not necessarily old enough to be her mother or anything, but they're definitely presented in being in two different um, stages of their life. Yes, for sure. But also, back to the being coy, they're not, like, they're not shipped. You know what I mean? Mm. They're not together. Mm. She likes him, but whenever you're starting out with a crush on somebody, you don't go and yell it around all over your neighborhood. Like, you are coy about it because it's your business, because you don't want to be out and about and 
and telling people and then have it get back to that person and then you look like an idiot. Also, you live with Edie who keeps throwing herself at him with her white snake video. Yeah. So maybe I don't trust you. Maybe I don't. Yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe this is a very new possible ship that's going to happen. Uh, But also, maybe we're just not that close. You're right. You weren't supportive when I got divorced and I'm not sharing my my affairs with you right now. Um, and, and she's not going to take that. Mrs. Hoover says, oh yes, you like him a great deal. You like him so much that you burned your rival's house down. Woo! Shots fired. And Susan is like, you're crazy. No, I didn't. (laughs) And Mrs. Hoover presents her with the chart measuring cup and says, no one ever needs to know. I am so glad I can be here for you, uh, and keep this secret for you. I don't trust her. Not as far as I can throw her. And, oh goodness. So can't wait to see where that comes from. Uh, or or uh, where we come back to with that chard measuring cup and the no one ever needs to know. What, nobody says that when when it's a genuine offer. You would have just kept your damn mouth shut then. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Oh. Uh, take people her over to Reese. Someone says, when someone says no one ever needs to know, people are gonna, it means people are going to know. And if they don't, they should, because this isn't on the up and up. No, no. Okay, so you said back to Bree's, yes. Go back over to Bree's house? Yeah, back to Bree. So Bree comes up to Andrew's room, and he and she wants to know where he's been, and he says he was at Brian's, but he, she's like, well, good luck, because I called Brian's mom, and she says you weren't, so go ahead, tell me the, tell me the truth this time. And Andrew says, oh, truth, that's an interesting concept for us to be discussing since I know that dad's not in Philadelphia at a conference. He's moved out. And and he says, you know, what what honesty do you, or what do you have to say about driving my father away? Can I blame you for that? Yeah, he calls her, he calls her on the carpet. And yeah. it's kind of a do as I say, not as I do sort of moment for Brie where, you know, I'm not going to be honest with you. But I'm going to expect you to be honest with me, which, I mean, that's kind of, that happens with definitely, kids, right? Definitely. And we talk about the differences between, you know, I'm not going to share that with my child. Uh, you know, the, the, the Susan, we have the Susan Julie over here, and then we have the Brie and Andrew over here. And both are, you know, seems to be extremes there. But there are things that we're not going to tell our children and are probably not a great idea to tell our children. They're not emotionally or developmentally ready for it. And you know, this is something between me and your father and it doesn't concern you. And thank you for letting me know in terms of your father moved out. That's probably something one, they're going to notice and two, we're going to have to work through some trauma. So by no means my support supporting Brie and not telling Andrew anything, but not telling them anything versus telling them everything there, there was definitely a, a way to deal with this, but and in, in not addressing it, it almost invites Andrew to say things like, you drove my father away. Well, you know, maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but if we don't address it at all, I can't even argue that I didn't. Right, right. And and I think about the fact that, like, when separations happen in a lot of cases, it's not you're jumping to moving out right away. Like, mm-hmm. he packed, well, not, he didn't pack one suitcase, she packed the suitcase, but it it didn't seem like it was going to be a long, long-term thing. And in her head, it very clearly wasn't because she's, she still is thinking they're going to get back together. And so I could see not even saying, you know, dad's, dad's taking a break or whatever, because if 
this all blows over in a week or whatever, you don't want to have put your kids through that trauma if you didn't need to maybe I don't I mean that's I agree that it doesn't have to be as extreme as it's it's over the it's moved out but we're going to try something different I really like how you phrase that thank you Amanda um the sock the sock appears back at Gabby's house gee I didn't think that was gonna come up ever again um Carlos Carlos finds John's sock whoops Right, and Gabby running around in a kimono and brown underwear because everybody just runs around their house dressed like that. I mean, if you if you have a body like that, rock that all day long. <laughs> if you have whatever body and you're confident like that Correct. and that's comfortable, rock that all day long. Um, it doesn't seem like it would be just comfortable clothes. Like, I'd rather have on a pair of running shorts because that's more comfortable for me. But Gabby, you do you. But she literally runs to the laundry basket and grab just like makes a quick grab and it's it's all socks yes no kidding i said the same thing i'm like does she sort her laundry before she puts it in the hamper she doesn't seem to wear a lot of socks herself in what we see her in like she's you know always open-toed shoes i you know that's not gonna get socks unless you're wearing socks around the house but yeah i I thought that was interesting too and so she uh she throws the 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 socks into the linen closet and when he says whose sock is this gabby says it belongs to yao lin who dusts them instead of using rags look i'll show you i mean i gotta say quick thinking quick on your feet gabby with that lie that was like rapid fire like she was I mean, she should be in the writer's room because she's quick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She should. Representation. Um, We're back to um, Mrs. Huber and Susan and their ongoing, you know, Mike and Edie and the measuring cup (laughs) triangle. Um, At the supermarket, Mrs. Huber comes across Susan and says, oh, are you here with Mike? And Mike comes up behind them in line and Susan just really blows him off. Like, she's not going to give her any more ammunition that, that she likes Mike. Um, and Mrs. Super, Mrs. Huber said she's being silly, you know. You're, and she also says, your secret is not an easy burden to bear. Edie is using up my hot water and eating me out of house and home. And, and she has a, <laughs> And she has a way, she, she, she knows how she's going to make this all better for herself. And, you know, it, again, your secret is not an easy burden to bear. You know what would make this a little easier for me to bear? If I move the divider, yeah, if I move the divider, as if to say, Susan, you better pay for my groceries. There's that blackmail that we love so much on this show. And it's, again, desperation, born out of your desperation for hot water and to not spend money. Um, Here here comes a desperate situation and her desperation, and Susan's desperation to not have a secret revealed, correct or not. I gotta say, even if it wasn't true, I really don't want somebody walking around my neighborhood calling me an arsonist. That's true. That's very true. So it doesn't, it doesn't go well, I wouldn't think. I was going to say, do we, do we have personal experience with this? No. no, no, no. Amanda's no. neighbors that are listening, go ahead. Tell me what she burned. That's fine. Promise nothing ever. We'll see. Um, let's go back over to Lynette's. Um, Bree says that they're talking about the children and ADHD, and Bree seems to give us um, some information that there has been an expert involved in, in determining whether or not the boys have ADHD. Again, it, maybe I'm looking at it from a 2021 perspective, and in 2024, um, diagnosticians or diagnoses were handled a little bit differently. Perhaps they are even today. Write in, let us know. Um, but if the, you know, Bree says if the teacher 
and pediatrician both think that the boys could stand to be medicated, maybe try it? But Lynette says she's worried that the medication will take the bad away with the good. Yes, which that, I mean, that definitely when you, when you think about it like that way, that it's possible. If she loves the, if she loves the excitement and the chaos Mm -hmm. and throws that medication into the mix to calm things down, like maybe she might be losing, she might be losing some of that fun and chaos that she likes. And I don't know. And I I don't know for certain how old the twins are. I want to say that they're five and that, um, that, I want to say, like, maybe they were first grade. Because I can't, if Porter and Preston are there, I can't think of how old Parker would be. And I want to say Parker's, like, four, um, and Penny's still, and Penny's an infant. But I'd have to, I'd have to look. But my, my, my reason for that is age does play a role in some of that. Because um, the, the youngest that I ever had were ninth grade students. And that was actually for some of my students that suffered from ADHD or lived with ADHD. Um they that would be a time when some of them would start to say you know what i don't really like how this medicine makes me feel i feel tired i feel like i i feel i I just don't like it i feel groggy and so they would start to not take their medication and see what happens and see if there were other coping strategies so this you know again i i look at this from working mostly with adolescents but that even my students would tell me that that or they would they would skip a dose or forget a dose and and have some hard have a hard time paying attention or, or staying within the expectations of the classroom and they would say I forgot to take my medicine or my medicine's worn off by seventh hour and we'd have to find another coping mechanism so I I don't I don't discredit what Lynette is saying about worrying that the good goes with the bad mm-hmm, for sure and I she's also I think she's also scared because she doesn't know what it's gonna do you know. Yeah. And, and uh, Bree's not there for nothing. It looks like all the ladies are coming t- uh, together at Lynette's, and they want to tell Paul that there might be more to Mary Alice's death than, than he, they most they um, might have realized. Looks like a little bit of retcon here. I think it was Gabby, or no, it was Susan who said, if you look at the postmark, she probably got it the day she died. And we talked about that in the pilot. Like, eh, postmark doesn't necessarily mean you got it the day that she died. But we can put that together. Right. And the ladies give the, the Paul the Fermi letter. And he kind of has a little bit of a breakdown. And, yeah. and tells them a little bit about... Is this the segment where he tells them a little bit about how she's... She kind of started to change or is that later i think he's gonna he's gonna come back right now i think he's just gonna walk he's just like you said to have the breakdown and leave um but at least uh, at least it's out there and they're not holding on to this uh this part of the secret by themselves anymore but yes we will revisit that um with his with his reaction other than just sadness and, and overwhelm yes go back to the Solis house and the sock the mystery of the sock yes we have Yao Lin cleaning the banister with the sock and Carlos asks her if she's always done that doesn't he say something about Mm -hmm. he says something about like Japanese is that a Japanese something and she says custom and she says I'm Chinese Right. So. He absolutely, that absolutely is it. And Gabby's doing yoga. She's very, she, she's having her self-care. She's then like, I got this under control. Uh, Yao Lin is obviously, you know, going to go along with this. 
and Carlos, I think he just has so little patience for other people's issues um, that unless it unless this is going to turn into something juicy, he's like, whatever, fine. But I also have to say, this is a custom in America too. Maybe it, maybe it's a low socioeconomic issue for, for from my standpoint. But that happened all the time. That like if you're like if a shirt didn't you know my mom didn't use a shirt anymore um, as a shirt, she would turn it into a cloth and and clean with it, and so did we. Yeah. Those weren't the ones that you yeah. cleaned your face with necessarily. But if you're just dusting, what does it matter? Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so, Yellen's not happy about being in on it, though. No, she doesn't like lying. But Gabby, it turns out, doesn't like her ironing. So, so yeah. there, literally, the quote from Gabby. So there. Yeah. Oh, um, Gabby goes to see John at school and tells him about the sock, and she tells him, "You can't ever wear anything looking like a gym sock ever again." Uh, so she gives him, it looks like Birkenstock sandals, and he's like, what if I, you know, what if I run over my toe? And she's like, well, what do you think Carlos will cut off if he finds out what either your sock was really doing there? Oh, that was good. I really also liked her tiny, tight mini dress and giant hat and sunglasses that she chose to wear. She's still incognito. Her. Yeah, yeah. But then she is peeking around him because all of his, all of his pals are out on the field watching this because their practice has now stopped it's super and sus she's yeah and she's like why are they staring at me you know did you tell them about us she's like peeking around him and he's like no they think you're hot and now she's fine with it and like waves at them what come on gabby she needs yourself worth from somewhere else yeah she needs so much which is so again maybe it's a lesson for all of us that even our most confident friends need validation and i can be i can be there for that but she's problematic uh we go back it's not a good way to keep your affair even though we don't like to call it that it's not a good way to keep it under wraps if you're going to be showing up and waving at your your beloved's friends who's that hot woman who came to your soccer practice Right. Exactly. <laughs> Who knows? Man, he's a busy he's a busy guy with his lawn mowing and his school and his soccer and, and yeah. all the things. Um, back over at Bree's house, Andrew's not home and Bree has Danielle call Andrew and ask where he is. Andrew knows that Bree put her up to it, but Bree can hear what she thinks is a bar in the background. So she kicks in Andrew's door to search for where he might be because he's not going to tell her on the phone. He just hangs up on her. And he, she finds matches to a place called Topsy Turvy, which is apparently a strip club. She was she conducted a very thorough search. No kidding. For those matches, by the way. Wow. Good thing he only has matches from one strip club. Right, right. And so she goes to Topsy Turvy and finds Andrew and his friends. And how old is Andrew? Do we know? Uh, he's he's in high school. He at least is driving age because we'll find that out soon. We'll find that out soon enough that he's at least driving age. So between sixteen and eighteen. And yeah, I think the same thing. What is wrong with the 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 bouncer at this place? Yeah, yeah, because he is like giant mug of beer. All three of the boys do. Like, it was not a problem to get in and order a drink. Right, right. So Brie gets herself a cool glass of Chardonnay. <laughs> yeah. And decides she's going to sit down with him because he's not going to leave with her. The other two boys did, though, I have to say. They they were, as soon as Bree starts saying, oh, you know, it was that was a lovely reading you gave at church. I, it's ruined for them. They're going to get out of here right now. Uh, but Andrew will right. not be deterred. 
no, no, he's going to stay. And she, Brie, basically starts with the, what, do you ever think about, like, what brought this this person here on this on this stage and on this pole? And, poof. I love that. I love the, the quote. And, again, we, are, I, I, I try to be very, very sex positive, and a job's a job, and there are plenty of women that have had, and, and men, who have had to, you know, do things to, to support themselves. Um, and it's not about, for me, it's not about maligning what they've chosen to do with the, this chosen profession or sex work in general, uh, but just Brie. Um, I'm curious, when you fantasize about this woman, do you ever stop to think about how she came to be on this runway? That's someone's little girl, and that someone probably had a lot of dreams for her, dreams that did not include a thong and a pole. <laughs> and that... She's ruined this experience for the poor guy sitting next to Andrew, who's just trying to... He is of age, damn it, and he deserves to be in this place. Yeah, he just wants to see some legs and have a beer. I mean, she's ruined that. Now he's got to think about this girl's parents and, you know, her life choices. Oh, and so we'll finally get Andrew to leave, and that was the whole, that was the whole goal. She's very proud of herself. Um, and we can, we can, we can move on and have more, we can have just as funny of banter back at Bree's house and not have to have, you know, box Chardonnay. I'm sure it wouldn't have been the brand she would have preferred anyway. For sure not. For sure not. Oh, Susan, Susan, Susan. Screening your calls. That is the most 2004 thing of this episode right here. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, we've all been there. Um, so Mrs. Hubert her water heater just burst and it's going to cost, it's going to cost $600 and she can't afford that. So there's that blackmail again. So Susan goes to her trusty, her trusty confidant. Yeah. And Julie, Julie is always there for her. Again, this is, you know, having, having grown up with a single, in a single parent household, there are things that I probably knew that my, that people my age didn't know that came from different, that came from different backgrounds. Um, but it really, this really, it, it, I don't know, it, it's problematic for me, the, the relationship that she has with, uh, between Julie and Susan is a little problematic for me, but, um, Susan goes to Julie and says, I think I'm being blackmailed. She fesses up to Julie that she did burn the house down. It was an accident, but she did. And that's where their measuring cup has been, where they couldn't make, when she couldn't make those brownies for her nerdy friends, uh, that was the, the reason, and she fesses up to it. But Julie's scared. Julie is, you, is very scared that even if you don't go to jail, mom, this is going to be an opportunity for dad to reopen custody. And she does not want to live with her dad in, in no uncertain terms. She is clear that, you know, whatever needs to be done, we have to do it because I can't live with dad. Yes, definitely. Which, okay, so let's see what happens next with that. And Julie's obviously the brains of the operation, so I can't wait to hear what Julie's, what Julie's plan is. She's um, going to have a strategy. She's going to have a strategy. Well, good thing for her and her nerdy friends. Hopefully she doesn't uh, incorporate them as accomplices, but we'll see. Um, Carlos has questions for John back at the Solis house, and he says, you know, you were working on Tuesday, right? And John, deer in the headlights, uh, well, do you remember the cable guy showing up? Um, um, well, you work until five, right? That means he was there for three hours and John tries to backtrack. Oh, you know what? I don't want to get in the middle of anything. And Carlos seems to give him a pass on that. You know what? You're a good, you're a good kid, John. I under, I understand. But he got all the answers he needed from that. He really did. He really did. So, 
Now we're back to Julie and Susan. And she does have a plan, Amanda. You're right. Let's break in and steal that cup. Let's, <laughs> let's break in and steal. So they wait for Mrs. Hoover to leave, and they play Frisbee in the street, and Susan's very loud about them playing Frisbee. Look at us playing Frisbee over here. Look at us. Throws it into the yard. And, Julie, and she threw it, like, up and over. Like, that was quite a throw. I, I was going to ask you the same question. Was this, a, you know, this is just like the soccer ball. Do we have to go do... I have, actually, a Frisbee. We could do some... I, I guess I could do some uh, investigating myself tonight. I think I might actually have the ability to throw a Frisbee way better than I could kick a soccer ball. But, yeah, that's a legit throw. Yeah, but if you have a Frisbee, I'd like for you to... I'd like for you to do some field testing and come back with that information. Okay, well, I'll do the best I can. We'll have that in the, yeah. the, the missed opportunities segment next time. Um, and right. Susan's gonna yeah, remind, go ahead. remind me I have something to share at the end of this at the end of this episode. Okay, I am gonna forget that, so I'm gonna I'm literally writing it down. Okay, so Susan standing, Susan standing guard in the street, and Julie hops hops on back to steal, and who walks down the street? Who's always seeming to be on the street is our friend Mike. Yeah, who's stalking who here? Right. right. <laughs> Mike is there and he happens upon her and says, you know, you're kind of distant at the grocery store, um, but I'm going to try again. There's a Billy Wilder retrospective um, and Susan agrees. She would love to go see that, but man, you just can't, you, you can't go anywhere without, you can't go anywhere with Julie without Mike showing up and you can't have Mike show up without Edie showing up. Edie comes home unexpectedly and says she doesn't feel well. She probably got sick uh, because of the sunburn she got when she was washing her car. Uh, and Susan still right. needs to distract Edie before she goes in this house and figures and finds Julie stealing the measuring cup. Oh, and doesn't it just break your heart for Susan that it ends up she invites, first she's like, why don't you hang out with us? And yes! She invites me, and Mike only has two tickets, so she she gives up her ticket to Edie. I, that, I'm sure that was a real tough call for her to make. Absolutely, except for the fact that I could have found 80 things to talk to her about and to, I would have, you know, I would have done, I would have done a lot more things than offer up my, um, my ticket to go on this date that I want to go on. I, you know, right. there were so, she's so clumsy, like Susan's clumsy, it would totally have held water that she, um, falls on top of Edie and breaks her, you know, breaks something. All of these things were, were other options besides, hey, you can just have my ticket and now I have no date. But regardless, Julie secured the measuring cup and now Edie and Mike have a date. So way to go, Susan. Yay, good job. Good job. <laughs> <sighs> Carlos is going to get some punches in here. Yep. So Carlos heads to the cable guy's apartment and the guy's poor guy is in a sling and a neck brace and Carlos just punches him and you think you can have sex with anyone you want and then kind of looks around and I, I gotta say like the first thing he looks at is a poster for a Broadway show and a guy liking a Broadway show does not make him gay. Right. This is Abby. This, is, gonna... this is the second most 2004 thing about this episode is the, the level of homophobia and um, yeah. stereotyping. Right. I was, I was like, come on. But then he sees a picture of a, of a man's chest, and then he sees a picture of 
um, this man with his partner looking, I mean, it kind of looked like wedding picture. To me, it looked, yeah, both wearing white, right? But I, it, right. It, it was very clear that that's what we're supposed to believe from this, is that he's in a committed relationship with a guy, so he's probably not interested in your wife. Right, so then Carlos says, wait, you're gay? And the guy says, yes. Is that why you're doing this? And he says, yes, and then leaves. Yep. So now he's redefined his act of jealousy as a hate crime. Yes. So, and I'm sure job. I'm sure nothing bad is going to happen of that. I'm I'm sure that's not going to come back to haunt him at all. Right. Um, we get back to Paul, right? We, t- we talked about they presented Paul with the letter, and he got very emotional, very overwhelmed, but we didn't necessarily see what happened yet. But we alluded to what will happen, and it's that Paul happens upon Lynette and Gabby, and he apologizes for, for running out. But he also says, Mary Alice was very troubled that he would that she would leave herself hateful notes, and it started with pick up milk, and then it, it turned into something darker and deeper. And Lynette and Gabby don't buy it for a second. Not even close. Nope. She did not send this to herself. And she certainly didn't postmark it. She didn't send it in the mail. That cost money. Right. Right. Oh. Oh, Lynette. So Lynette is reminiscing about her successful career before parenthood. And she, her kids are running around and jumping off of stuff. And she, she decides that she's going to give them the pills, which she has on hand. Right. Um, so, th- so there has been a doctor's visit. Presumably. Unless, I mean, unless she got him somewhere else. I don't know. True story. But um, it could happen. It might still. (laughs) So she says they need to take medicine and they are like, are we sick? And you have a question in here about kids that little taking pills? Yeah, and simply because my daughter hates the taste of medicine. I've been been told that some children love the taste of, like, children's Tylenol, that it tastes like frosting to them. I also have a rule. My sister kind of imposed this upon me. She uh, has two adult children now, but she always tried all of their baby food their formula and their medicine so that she could say to herself that I know exactly how this tastes and I know it's not yummy, but we're going to get through it. And she would do so in front of them so that they would know mommy tried it. Mommy, you know, mommy knows it's not your favorite, but we got to, we got to figure it out. So I've tried all of them and I am a pretty, I have a pretty picky palate. Uh, as anybody who's gone to uh, gone out to dinner or drinks with me knows, I will send something back. I'm sorry, um, but uh, but in particular with a pill, it would be easy for a child to choke on it or you know have some other problems. So I I don't know. I I guess I need to do a deep dive on ADHD medication, and I would assume that there has to be something that is liquid. But they're taking a pill, and it could be chewable or something like that. But I just thought that w- I thought that was an interesting take. And again, that's just that that I think that's from a parent perspective. Like if I could get my child to just have a Tylenol um, when she's sick or when when you know she's had two surgeries, um, if that were an option, I would love it if somebody had told me this I will say there are the dissolvable packs of acetaminophen that um, are kind of like a pixie stick and they dissolve immediately and you don't have to use water with them and so they absorb right to the palate immediately and that's been a life send but or godsend but I don't think these are like I think this would taste nasty if you crushed it and put it on your child's palate oh for sure for sure I deep dive I'm sorry I deep dove these two boys I like it. I'm here for it. But these these two sweethearts 
She, Lynette drops the pills on the floor and picks them up and then the boys have disappeared. She hears them giggling, they're under the table and she goes to give one the pill and he closes his mouth and then the other one opens his mouth. It's like, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. Oh yes, that's good. And then she decides that the medicine is just not for, for her and her family, which my hope for her is that she'll find another another way to help them manage self-manage but in the meantime she'll self-medicate herself yeah she chooses wine as her self-management medication tool so and you know uh respect the respect the game respect the game um over at brie and andrews back to brie and andrew not in the strip club anymore brie says that she shouldn't have lied about rex moving out or omitted rex moving out but lied about the 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 philadelphia conference but and i know you want to believe it but it's not entirely my fault and Andrew says he understands, but that he doesn't want his dad to leave, and and neither does Bree. Um, we learned that Bree has taken Andrew's door off the hinges and is keeping it for three months. And I thought that that was a, a great way to package this this tender moment. You're sad about your dad leaving, but there's still going to be consequences for the fact that you were underage drinking and <laughs> uh, at a strip club, and you didn't. You know what? You just kind of pissed me off too. So three months, yeah. no door. Wow. I wonder if she'll stick to it can't wait to see because I my my argument to that is that maybe there's something happening in a teenage boy's room that as his mother I don't want to see and it wouldn't be inappropriate it would be inappropriate for me to see anyway um so I I don't know it depends how brazen your child is I suppose but who knows probably also don't want the teenage boy room smell seeping out into the hallway but I'm sure Bree's got some sort of she's got she could mix up a potpourri and you know fix that real quick Except I was actually stunned to see his room be so messy when she uh, when she kicked the door in. At one point, she said, "You know, he's like, you went in my room," and she said, "It get it's gonna get worse than that. I'm gonna clean it." Um, and I, I was surprised that she would allow a room in her house to be messy, but I don't even who knows. Um, we find out that the TV in the bathroom does work over at Gabby and Carlos's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep, because they find out that the gay advocate who yes. happened to be their cable guy, was the victim of a hate crime. And they see the sketch of, of the person in question who looks very much like Carlos. And he's, he's like pulling Gabby's hair back lovingly mm-hmm. and then says, anything you want to ask me. Like that just made me feel really, really um terrified for Gabby. Me too. And we've talked about that. We pulled on that string a few times that it feels like um, that she could be physically in danger or that she fears for physical violence in her own home and absolutely yeah nothing nothing makes me more uncomfortable than that so we'll, we'll keep a keep an eye on that. But Mrs. Hooper comes over to Susan's house and accuses her of stealing the measuring cup. She must have gone into her blackmail, uh, you know, where where she kept Mary Alice's um, uh, blender. And under Susan Meyer's name, there's now no measuring cup. Um, <laughs> and so she so she accuses a curated cabinet of everybody's stuff. And you have to make those labels and everything. My gosh. Um, so she's she accuses her of stealing the measuring cup and Susan kind of gets a couple punches in 
um, about, you know what, I try to be, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, I guess I did. Uh, there's nothing you can do about it. And I try to be a good neighbor, and I'll tell you if your house is on fire, I guess. Um, but you know what, just so you know, anytime that I say good evening, Mrs. Huber, I am quiet, quiet, quietly hating your guts. And I liked that. Yes, good for her to say that, you know. I like that she's, she's identifying to her, like, we're not friends. I will be classy in how I conduct myself in person with you, but like, it's not going to extend any, like make no mistake. It's not extending any further than that. Know in Unless your heart I'm that I hate not. you. <laughs> I'll let other people think that I don't, but I just, just, just so you know, and I'll make sure that you know. Um, the core four come back together and we've learned that Bree's father was a prosecutor. That checks for me. How about you? Oh, 100%, 100%. Um, and they, and they, they again talk about, this is not a note that one says to themselves, uh, that one sends to themselves, Paul's hiding something. We, we all know it. Yep. And of course we end with a late at night looking scene. Cause that, that's mm -hmm. how it always seems to be with Paul. And he's meeting with some mystery person in a suit and, uh, yeah. Tell us about that. So Paul says, you know, I'm up against something, and the, the guy in the suit says, what is it exactly you hired me to do? And we'll find out soon what what exactly that person will need to do, as Mary Alice leads us out, with what kind of person would send such a note. That's what Paul wants to know. Who sent this to my wife? Um, what type of person would send such a note? Was it an enemy? Of course. But what kind? An acquaintance? Right. A stranger? Or how about a neighbor who lives a few feet away? Yes, yes. So who knows who we're about to meet in our next episode. This uh, guy in the suit. Let's hope he's good at his job and, and can get us some answers. So next week, we are headed uh, to Come In Stranger. Uh, we continue the Sondheim theme here. This one, uh, this one, um, Who's That Woman, was from Bali. So we'll continue, we'll continue the Sondheim struggle. Um, in the meantime, I'm Rachel. And I'm Amanda. And thanks for listening to Noisy Fulfillment. All right, hear from you next week. Bye. Bye.